that now. Can you hear me? Do these things now. Can you hear me as well? One second. Oh, God. A second. Can you hear me now? Yeah, baby steps. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Hello, my name is Alex and welcome to The Food Chain. This is the second link in my chain. Uh, last time we had Gareth Morris, a.k.a. Gwem, a.k.a. Gareth, from the UK. And he very kindly put me in contact with Jen De La Vega, uh, who I am joined by today. Hello, Jen. Hello, Alex. <laughs> lovely, to, uh, lovely to meet you. How's, it, how's the world looking over there? You, where are you? I'm in Brooklyn, New York, and it's it's suddenly spring here. We we've had a little bit of a rough winter, and now it's it's nice and warm. And maybe I'll go walk to the park later. Be- sounds like a lovely <laughs> idea. Lovely idea. How's it been with lockdown over there for you? Uh, to be honest, pretty miserable. Mm. <laughs> I've had to uh, change my entire work life. So I don't know if you're familiar, but I am a chef. And uh, before all of this, I was a wedding caterer. So I was cooking meals for upwards of 100 or 200 people uh, for their special day or for their birthday or for office parties. But as soon as the pandemic started, uh, I had to figure out a new life. Mm. (laughs) And I've I've mostly pivoted to recipe development, which is part of being a chef, but it's now sort of turned up the volume on this particular skill. So I I develop recipes for publications and cookbooks. So that's a nice change for you or what? I mean, obviously, I'm thinking you miss the old days in some way. It's always nice to be out there making food and, and creating those experiences for people. But it has forced you to go in a different direction. What have you, so you have to learn new things, really. I do. That's kind of why it's so exciting because development is making a recipe from scratch or using previously published recipes as a sort of reference or template. You know, that's that's like a bibliography if I'm writing a thesis or something like that. Um, But It's exciting because I get to research new techniques, new ingredients every day and test them and see if they work. And then they go into books and articles so that other people can learn those same things. And that's great. I mean, it's really nice to to help other people learn. Are they simple recipes? Are they hard recipes? Is it a bit of both? (laughs) It varies. Uh, Depends on who the audience is. Very much how... Uh, someone would write a story for different audiences, like for children or for parents or for people who are very new to cooking or molecular gastronomy for people who have done everything and want to try something at another level. So I'm pretty flexible. I've been a chef for over 10 years now, and uh, I've just built a wealth of knowledge that has really come in handy uh, during during this time when I'm unable to cook for other people, and I do miss that that one to one joy of of handing someone a plate of food or seeing people's faces as they're eating. Uh, but you know, it's a different it's a different kind of satisfaction when somebody sends me a photo on Instagram or Twitter or something um, that I've made your recipe. That's very very exciting and fulfilling. Mm. 
Yeah, I imagine. What's um? So, what was it about food? I mean, you say t- it's ten years. You've been a chef now. Did you swap career or? I did. This is actually how I know your previous guest, uh, Gwen. So I used to work in the music industry before this. I had a little record label. I just fresh out of university. I moved to New York City. I worked at a small um, music agency. They were in charge of sending music to radio stations. So Way, way back, I used to be the music director for a small station in California called KDVS, and my job was to receive the music, file it in the library, compile the charts, and so uh, I I loved that world and wanted to work professionally in it, Hmm. and so moving to New York City is sort of like a a dream for a lot of younger people here, (laughs) because that's where everything is happening, there are a lot of music venues, genres being discovered, uh, a lot of record labels. So I thought it was the, the perfect place to, to grow my music career. And over time, you know, uh, it's late night, especially if you're going to concerts for work <laughs> yeah. until about four or five in the morning. It's pretty tiring. And when you're in your 20s, it's very energizing and fun. But as you approach your 30s, <laughs> it gets really... Uh, I don't know. I felt very ragged about it. And it was a time when music, when we were sending it to all of these places, we were using a physical copy, you know, like CDs and uh, full full play LPs. You know, that cost a lot of money to, to ship mm. around the world mm. and across the country. And I think I was around at a very interesting time when the media was shifting and Uh, It was getting cheaper to just email an MP3 or send a link to a downloadable thing. And so it was a very big uh, shakeup, I think, uh, industry-wise. And people were losing their jobs. I was burning out. And so I decided to start uh, like sort of a little brunch brunch club at my house for, for my friends. And so I would make some grilled cheese sandwiches every Sunday and people would start to gather and you know, it would be a little drunken mess because we are 20 years old, but <laughs> it was the beginning of, of sort of this, this food journey because I, I didn't really like food growing up. I was very picky. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, how, was, how oh, yeah. was your relationship to food when you were a kid? That was all, I like that question. <laughs> I was yeah. picky as well. I wouldn't eat anything. Oh, my goodness. I love fast food. So we had McDonald's and Taco Bell. I lived next. I lived near an In-N-Out, which is a California burger chain. Um, but I was very enamored with the commercials, like very '90s fast food, easy food, convenience food. Um, so if you remember Dunkaroos or um, Dunkaroos, <laughs> what? Yeah, how can that? Remember? How can that even be a food stuff? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> what? What is a Dunkaroo? Oh my goodness. Now that I look back on it, why did they let us eat it? it yeah. It's essentially a pack of um, biscuits, cra- uh, cookie crackers, a little bit on the drier side, like animal crackers, yeah. um, with a little well of icing, chocolate icing. <laughs> chocolate fries. And they need frosting. to be dunked, right? It sounds like they need to be dunked. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's a very memorable um, mascot they had that was just this kangaroo with a very probably offensive Australian accent. 
Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is an Amer- American product, so it's like. What did you dunk? What was the choice? Offensive. What was the choice? Uh, what did you use to dunk it in? What was the best? Oh, thing? it was just various frosting, so mm. chocolate and vanilla, and then the crackers were either chocolate, vanilla, or graham cracker. You know, the brown sugar cracker. Oh God, this is um, amazing. I know. I can't believe that it was a, a thing, and it's not really around anymore. But, uh, you know, I was very, uh, I just had a lot of salt and a lot of sugar. <laughs> I could, I don't know, this was a bragging point when I was in high school, which is uh, I could finish uh, a case of soda by myself in one day. <laughs> okay, so let's just check because sometimes there's cultural differences. How many is in a case? In oh, like state? 12 cans. 12 cans, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 12 That's cans, like, and then. Orange. God, that's a lot. What did you say? That's a lot. It's like a lot. in one sitting or like over the course of a day. All or... day. Yeah, all day. <laughs> so I would bring it to school or I'd come home, crack another can. And just as an idle thing. And I think that habit still sort of follows me today, but it's mm. I don't drink soda anymore, but it's more like seltzer, a tea, a juice. So I've always got a constant uh, companionship of drinks here. Yeah, yeah. But you got to have some some liquid in, right? So it's okay. I, I met this yeah. guy once um, when I worked in the UK. Uh, a guy that only drank Diet Coke and so did his wife. <laughs> and that was the only thing they drank. They didn't drink water. No. They didn't drink coffee, <laughs> tea, anything else. They just drank Diet Coke. And I was just like, wow, that's just the most – that's so strange amazing to me like, like a, 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 a lot of chemicals yeah but just like the <laughs> fact that that's the only thing you drink like that's it like there's no thought in your i mean i mean there's lots of worse things you can do don't get me wrong but but True. at the same time like just you just drink diet coke you don't do you drink alcohol no diet coke <laughs> like, okay wow so biscuits and and soda and takeout food and of course, you know, looking back on it, reflecting back, I this is sort of in the evolution of my cooking career and journey. And looking back, oh my gosh, there's a lot of sugar, there's a lot of salt. No wonder I had uh, gastrointestinal issues. I couldn't sleep very well. I was an insomniac. Um, and yeah, just I didn't feel good a lot of the time. I was in a bad mood, I think. And I, I think that's normal when you're a teenager, but I think it could have been helped if I ate just a little, just a tiny percentage better. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have been so cranky all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense. But that all... Yeah. I'm just oh, thinking yeah, like you're the attitude. Say again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just saying that I had a very drastic change. Yeah moving into my later 20s and, and early 30s. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it, some, isn't it, I mean, I don't have a great experience of, of, of living in the state. I mean, I've been to visit a few times. I went to, I went to Canada when I was uh, 16 years old and, and had a sample of the teenage Canadian life, which was, yeah, again, mm. like those adverts were just, they just went straight in and I ate so much junk and there was just so many, Pepsi's. There was Pepsi and Coke in the fridge. I remember. Oh, yes. I was like, wow. And this fridge, and there was all oh. of this, these products, which is like a frozen block, and that's your orange juice, and that you just mix with water, and that's. But just oh, how that's many of right. these 
packages and cans and boxes were just available, readily available. Mm-hmm. I can just go to the fridge and 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 just take something that I should most definitely not eat. And the last time I was in the states, I went to to visit a friend in in, uh, in New York, and I just remember when I went out to the supermarket and and just the price of like fruit <laughs> or vegetables <laughs> was just like it just seemed astronomical yeah astronomical where i could then just go and buy that <laughs> those biscuits or whatever else that you know obviously more exciting anyway which cost nothing or like a third of the price one it, it just didn't I seem know. economically f- it didn't give people a chance basically the way i saw it it's no like why way. would you buy that yeah. That is actually a very relevant conversation in the States about um, poverty and being trapped in sort of that food system. Uh, A lot of this, in my research of, uh, you know, how I've grown up with this sort of food and how convenient it is, it's very much tied to a lot of history and and war uh, specifically. So I'm I'm Filipino-American and... Uh, my parents immigrated to the U.S. in the 70s and 80s, you know, one after the other. But uh, a lot of the food they grew up with was a lot of this convenient food, convenience food as well, which was invented during times of strife and war and uh, having a country that was sort of in a third world recovery. Um, so specifically, one product is Spam. You know, I'm mm. sure in the UK, a lot of people are very familiar with spam. People don't like people shudder at the thought of it because they were so sick of eating it. <laughs> mm. But um, yeah, so that canned mentality or convenience, something that's shippable, something that is um, that doesn't spoil very easily. That is that comes from uh, when we needed it. And as the world, I can't believe I'm saying that, that the world is sort of in a, in a time of peace, maybe. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> On the internet, I wouldn't say that we're in a time of peace. But as far as war goes, um, we are relatively in a stable place. And we don't necessarily need all of that convenience. It's just that we've been so stuck in it, grown up with it. This is all we know. Um, it's very interesting to me to be a chef in in that climate and teach people like this is where juice comes from, <laughs> this is where cheese and milk comes from. Like that information will never get old. It's it's like evergreen, you know, something that will will be needed for a long time as long as these products and systems exist. <laughs> but it is. I mean, it's not. It's not much better in the UK. I think we're just a few years behind the states in, in relation to relationship with food and obesity and and sickness and diabetes and you know diabetes, like, yeah. like you say like I mean you are what you eat is the classic old phrase, isn't it? And and if and it does mm-hmm. affect your mood, it does affect how you feel. You know that after you've just eaten that meal immediately you know the body doesn't say oh thanks (laughs) for that does it It, you just kind of go into a hole quite often or but then yeah but 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 it's unfortunately food education or or an understanding of of food is is very low on the priorities and I suppose along with 
like you got like you're saying like what you get used to what do your parents do what do your friends do oh that was just what was on the table we ate just fast yeah, food conditioning <laughs> yeah and um and and fr- you have that and then on top of that you have poverty where you there therefore have to buy the cheapest food and in, in the states or in, in when i was in new york i was like i was seeing you know overweight homeless people and and i was thinking that's because it's a dollar a slice or you know you can still yeah. manage to get because you know be overweight and be on the streets it's just that unfortunate yeah, yeah so and also on top of everything else now is we all have meant to have extremely busy lives aren't we so there's just not so much time <laughs> to do stuff and hopefully if anything we can learn from having these months where we haven't been so busy is 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 that making a nice meal and sitting together with your family or friends um well it's one of those things that a lot of people are also missing you know you haven't been able to do it it's, it's just a lovely way to or frame to kind of sit within and and have an experience together it's um, yeah i would say that was a positive benefit of of sort of this forced isolation and pandemic cooking um you know i can't outweigh all of the the really terrible things that have been happening in my country but I will say I am heartened and excited for people that are discovering cooking for the first time. And it's, it's okay, you know, if you're at my age <laughs> and starting a little later. But um, I think it's just an improvement, gener- like a net positive, I would say, in the cooking realm uh, for people to just discover or rediscover um, their relationship to food. Yeah, and where, does cool. it, and where does the orange juice come from? <laughs> It comes yes. from cows. It <laughs> <And> orange. <laughs> it comes from cows. Yeah, I mean, you should try and mess around with that sometimes. I just think it's too too easy to have a little, poke a little bit of fun, I think. Yeah, so, so orange yeah. juice comes from cows <laughs> and milk comes from oranges. Do you know that? Do well, you know this, that? Is, this is very, very relevant to how I reconnected with uh, Gareth or Gwem. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, how he's been uh, making videos about cooking and still doing um, a lot of music stuff. So he does a lot of live composition on Twitch. So I also started a Twitch stream every week. And it's actually later today. It's called Attack the Pantry. And it's a food talk show where I have a guest. And and just like you, you know, (laughs) we talk a little bit about our relationship to food. Um, And then we look at photos that, our audience has sent in. So mm. something that you were proud of making that week, we're, we're here to just cheer you on or help you figure out how to fix it if something did go wrong. Um, so that's been a really wonderful program to, to organize week to week because it's something, A, for me to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you B, have to do. You have to do, right? You can't walk yeah, away from it. Yeah, committed to it. Committed to something yeah, at a certain time. I've said it out loud, the time and the place, meet me here, but also that it that it's helping people. And sometimes I get in my own head about, oh, maybe this is too basic or that I'm repeating myself. But I learned over time that you sort of have to say something or read something about 30 times before it hits your long-term memory. Mm. <laughs> so I, I feel less and less bad about uh, repeating some facts and and reiterating because in the end it's, it's really going to help stick in someone's mind <laughs> yeah no you're right i remember when i used to read the quit quitting smoking books essentially they could have 
written it over three pages but they just took those three pages and they put it into like 60 or 70 pages and it was the same things <laughs> over and over and over again so they just get in i think uh yeah i really enjoyed gareth's show i mean i know gareth as you know and uh and 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 what i loved about it was it was just completely the other side i mean like you, you heard the podcast there but it's just like how it's just so simple with it um and and that's where you have to start with some people because in the uk we yeah. just have so many cookery shows on tv and tons of people know, watch them yeah it were well, you know and people watch them at home in on their sofas eating their ready meals do you know what i mean <laughs> like that it, it's like food porn or something it, it, it's like, wait just, a minute <laughs> yeah it's I, it's just something people like to look at it doesn't i don't think it necessarily inspires people to cook because it's just too it's just too complex for them or a lot of people obviously yeah. it does inspire some people but i think you know it's important to try and for me get to the the bottom level and how do you get someone to not buy that burger and go right. home and make a burger themselves even do you know and like take some I fresh know. meat and some fresh uh, tomatoes and ingredients and 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 make something themselves you know even that is a step in the right direction <laughs> hopefully yes and it, it's sort of my job to, to put a bee in your bonnet about about some of these deeper issues about like the politics and, and where things come from and the history of it. Uh, that's sort of how, how it sort of starts to bother people. Like I've, I've had a few community members um, reach out to me and say, you know, I'm considering to be vegan or at least adopt some, some vegan habits because I realized, oh, that it, eating meat has, has uh, affected the environment. Maybe I can do a little bit to change that. Mm. So there, those are some decisions that people are making. I, I'm i still a, a very diverse eater, I will say. <laughs> so I've swung, like my pendulum has swung from being extremely picky to absolutely open to any food experience whatsoever as long as I'm learning something about it. <laughs> mm. But I like what, what you said about how it started with you as well with that, you know, I started making, was it cheese sandwiches, like toasted cheese sandwiches yes. on a Sunday mm -hmm. and people were invited to come over and they could have that sandwich. And, and for the, because I think that what food can, it just gives a re really easy excuse to bring people together because everyone needs to yes. eat they generally will eat three meals a day and a, and a few packets of uh, what they call Dunkaroos, you know, in the between, <laughs> in between or whatever to keep them going. But, but something we do in our, in our um, house here in, in Copenhagen is we have something every, we, we have dinner every day uh, and it's called fellas spiesening. People's, eating it sounds a bit wrong it's social dining experience and and Got it. Yeah. yeah so we have some long tables and we have space for up to 200 people to come and sit together and eat um in the main hall and it's cheap it's 50 kroner uh, for people to come and, and eat so we can't you know unfortunately have all of the most fantastic delicious ingredients in the world because we also have to try and keep it at a price that's affordable for everyone sure, to try yeah. and take that option we want it to be as easy as possible for people to say oh let's do that because once we get people to walk through the door what we do is then maybe it's you and me coming to eat together we're two people but the table has space for eight people and so we always mm -hmm. have eight people to each table and those eight people share uh the same food so we were then in the kitchen for example we'd just maybe 
they'll get two chickens to to share between those people and some potatoes and salad mm. obviously as well but we tried to challenge people a little bit with it you know so like there's your chickens now someone's got to cut it who's going to cut it out of you eight <laughs> people that just met and who takes too much food and you know you create all of these little uh, aspects within it where they can also uh, participate in it and um, yeah. and they and it also means most importantly that they hopefully will end up talking with each other and uh, so we've been using that little trick for over six years now and 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 people are at the beginning it was real a real challenge people challenge they are challenged by it it's not necessarily nice and people are like, i want to sit there can i sit there oh, i want to sit next one no no you can't you're going to sit where i'm going to put you and this right. is the way that it works here i'm afraid so it took a little bit of that at the beginning but now everyone kind of knows what it is but it's just Instead of staying at home and and having to go shopping and buying all those ingredients and then cook and do all the dishes, um, or if you're totally alone, again, that's an important one, right? So so yeah. you can just come here instead. Bring your family here instead or come alone. We have one guy that came alone every day for about two, three years almost, every weekday. I just love that he challenged himself in that way. It's all like, I eat here now. This is where I get my food. And he wasn't necessarily yeah. the most talkative person in those groups, but he he still did it for himself. And I was like, really, I'm really impressed by him that he would do that, you know. But yeah. but so keep it I mean, cheap. I wish I had that courage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I'd never do that, you know. And here, at least you don't sit on your own. It's not like going to a restaurant and booking a table on your own. You go to the fast food restaurant if you're on your own. I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what and about I the love f- that idea? Yeah, like the communal dining and and community building in a in a eating setting. Like I very much relate to that because my favorite way of serving food when I was when I was a, a active caterer was family style. Mm. That is something that I grew up with going to Chinese restaurants with a large. I have a very large family. Sometimes it would be twenty two of us. <laughs> Um, yes, with all the aunts and uncles and uh, grandparents, uh, 22. Table for 22, please. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's not everywhere you can go very, and say yeah, table for 22. Travel like a pack, yeah. Like, very overwhelming group of people. And this was before, um, you know, online reservations. And mm. so it was either call or just show up. <laughs> But um, I, I took that style and very much loved serving that way because of, of the things that you mentioned about sharing and um, kind of that interactivity of, of the, the, the service of it, the, the who gets to sit where and how much do we eat, do we, how, you know, what kind of etiquette is, is shared and not shared. You know? <laughs> yeah, and it gives everyone a role to play within it. You know, and I think that's really important. I've been to a few weddings in my life and been sat next to some people that I don't know who they are. And I'm not necessarily the first <laughs> yeah. one to be like, okay, so, uh, yeah, my name's Alex and what do you do or whatever. <laughs> I never know what the first question should be. I hate asking people, what do you do? I yeah. know, I hate it too. <laughs> it's not who you are, is it? Just because you do something doesn't mean that's what you are. So I, I'm, I'm actually quite rubbish in those situations. But then if you gave me the tool of being able to say, okay, so who wants to cut the chicken? I would very easily be the person that would be, 
I'll do that. Yeah. You know, or cut, or cut the piece like of meat. Salad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, that's an opening of a conversation. <laughs> it's an icebreaker, right? Would you like some salad? Yes, I would. It's just what to say yes. after that. <laughs> I'm a bit stuck with. Can you, you pass know, the potatoes? Of, yeah, exactly. And one of my favorite uh, sort of d- dining experiences that really isn't so safe right now. <laughs> mm. um, but I, I, I style a lot of displays. So like charcuterie displays or cheese displays, you know, they're called um, grazing tables where you've, you've filled a six foot table um, completely every surface with cheese and fruit and crackers. And so that kind of experience is really fun because you're, you're going around and picking all the little fun things that you want to eat. Mm. And it's a conversation starter when other people are also hovering around. Oh, what's that thing? Is that good? And, and that's just one of my favorite uh, ways to serve food. But I know I'm a little bit of a long ways off to serving it that way again. <laughs> do you uh, do you draw that table before you like like I'm thinking because you've got to make it look really good, right? You're going to take a canvas Sometimes. that's a table. It is very much like a canvas. Yes, mm. um, I don't necessarily doodle or draw, but I I very much block things as if it's like a theater production. Mm. Uh, like so, I always start. This is like a little bit of food styling secret. Is is you start with the largest pieces and and you build around those. So if I had a big wheel of brie, brie cheese, mm-hmm. I would lay that down first and then I sort of, you know, build the, the extras around it and, and create some kind of visual momentum toward the cheese. Like it's a little fireball that we want to draw attention to. <laughs> Something like that. Good tips, everybody. Big tips on the food chain today. If you're going to yes. dress a whole table, get a big brie, make it the focus of the attention. Mm-hmm. What other tips? I'm more interested about this table. I want to visualize it a bit more. So I've got a big brie there, and that's the center of the attention. Oh, what, yes. what else? What's going around the brie? What, what, what the... Well, sometimes I like to do a big spoonful of jam on top of it. Okay. And then there's, um, you know, little shingles of, of other sliced cheese um, spiraling around it. We've got piles of crackers, different shapes too, round and square. And then maybe even a vase full of um, grissini, which are uh, bread sticks, like the really skinny ones. Yeah. Um, we've got fresh fruits like figs and pears and apples. Um, goodness, I just like a very beautiful pile of what? stuff. And some sometimes there's dips or um, like hummus in in a nice like a nice dish that's uh, in has got a crown of rosemary or something like that around the side, and uh, I don't know, lots of bread. How does that, I mean <laughs> dried that, fruit? I'm imagining though it doesn't take long for it to look a right mess. <laughs> though, true, right? that's like, very true. But but as long as but everyone's going of, at the same time, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it's meant for a large crowd to graze or pick at over yeah. a course of time. And, but we know because it's food, we have a we have a ex- expiration window. <laughs> like in in the U.S., we have a little bit of a regulation on on food safety. Like I had to, you know, take a class and it's like getting a driver's license here. You you actually have to take a class and take a test to, to be qualified to serve food like this. So it's a food handling certification. 
but we have a um, two-hour period when a food reaches a, a certain temperature. You have two hours to either put it away or it has to be consumed uh, because of this is really fun. This is a new a new learning thing. The danger zone. Have you heard of this? No, no. Tell me more about the danger zone. <laughs> this sounds ex- 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 very exciting. The danger zone. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, in Fahrenheit, uh, there's a danger zone of 40 degrees Fahrenheit to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so we try to keep food outside of the danger zone. So either refrigerated below 40 or cooked to a specific temperature above 140 because um, that danger zone is where microbiome, bacteria, um, mold, that's where they love to thrive. And so if they have their ideal conditions for growing, then we've increased the risk of somebody getting food poisoning at an event or at a restaurant. Don't want that so on we your keep shoulders. an eye on that. No, and so that's why a thermometer is very important when you're serving food for other people. That's like a staple tool that that most of us chefs have on hand all time, all at all times. <laughs> My last question about the food table: What is sure, it? Yes, what, what is it that like people when what's left? What's left at the end of the day? <laughs> what what is it that people are like? Mm, nah. <laughs> I would say the blue cheese. I. I'm trying to convince more people to try blue cheese. Mm. Um, I know by itself it can be very aggressive. It can be very salty. Some people think it even tastes a little spicy, and that's because of the inoculated mold or the bluing inside. But if I have some advice for anyone that would like to adventure with some blue cheese, my favorite, favorite bite of food with it is a dried cherry and some dark chocolate. All right. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that. But a lot of <laughs> a lot of the time, there are just tons of crackers and bread because the cheese has run out, and so they don't want to eat. <laughs> don't want dry crackers. <laughs> <The> crackers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can dunk them in something, though, I suppose. True. I could yeah. just prepare a big bowl of icing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Dunk away, everybody. Yeah, there you go. No, well, there's one, the main reason we're also here today, also, I think we're going to have a, have a recipe from yourself, right? Right, that's right. So yes. I'm thinking I, we better do that before I forget that we have to do it <laughs> and then we're out of time. So, uh, no problem. So, so uh, what have you got for us, Jen de la Vega? Oh, today it's both a concept, like uh, several concepts that are, are made into pretty easy recipes that can branch off in very different ways. So I wrote this article a long time ago. Uh, it's called 10 Takes on Toast. And so toast is something, you know, a lot of people have for breakfast, but there are lots of ways you can change it up if you get bored. So today I'm going to tell you about vegetable ribbon tartines. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what a tartine is? Isn't it a little tart? Isn't it? Am I, is that a tartine. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm just listening to the word. A no, small a pastry, a, a, a holder of foods. <laughs> exactly. Actually, you've, you've hit the, the essential part of it. Yes. Yes, it does branch from a tart um, or a tartlet, which are pies. 
But tartines are open, at least in the U.S. right now. It is the an open-faced sandwich or open-faced toast. Um, it's very close to a smorgasbord, um, yeah. which is over there. <laughs> so um, what I've got is you start with a thick piece of, of fresh, freshly baked bread or uh, bread that you've cut from a loaf. Because a lot of store-bought bread, uh, you know, they don't cut it very thick because they, they've meant for it to be a, a two-piece of bread sandwich, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to do the tartine, you've, you've got to have a significant slab. So about an a inch or inch and a half thick is what I'm thinking. <laughs> Good. And, and you've got to have a very sturdy cheese situation. So something spreadable and fresh. I like cream cheese. Uh, if you've got a little bit more money, there's mascarpone cheese, which is Italian, um, or Neufchatel, which is, uh, I, I don't remember where it's from, where Neufchatel is from, but it's very close to cream cheese. So essentially, you can grill your bread or have it um, plain if you, if you don't want to toast it, but you, just, uh, you spread a very uh, generous layer of this cream cheese. And this is kind of the magic here. You, you, you make vegetable ribbons. So if you've got a, a peeler, like, you know, just a regular potato peeler, you can apply that to zucchini or carrot or yellow squash uh, to make ribbons. Um, so instead of just peeling the skin off, you just keep peeling and you've made these sort of noodles and ribbons. And from there, you can pile it on your toast and, and sprinkle maybe some crushed nuts or sesame seeds. And that's a very, very simple start to, to the day. Um, but I like to take that a step further by quick pickling the carrot. Because I know zucchini is very delicate. It's very soft when you've cut it that thin. But the carrot can stand up to a lot of uh, heat treatment. And so if you make like a a quick pickle brine. I have a recipe I can share later. Or if you have some leftover pickle juice in in the fridge, you can heat that up and stick the, the carrot ribbons in there. Uh, let it soak for about 10, 15 minutes. And then you've got very quickly pickled carrot ribbons that you can put on your toast or even in another sandwich or on top of a burger or in a salad. It's a very flexible and fun way to, to enjoy vegetables, and it's very pretty. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's very presentable, isn't it? It's an easy way to make something look amazing. Yeah, and I think it's fun, too, to arrange with kids. Like, it's very – if you, you'll allow them to use the peeler, if they're, they're competent enough to use a peeler, they can, you can make them have that job of uh, making all the ribbons. It's, it's very colorful, especially if you use the green zucchini, the yellow squash, and the carrot together. And I think it's an important thing, everybody out there, uh, is to remember let your kids get involved with cooking at a mm -hmm. young age. Like my, my son, he's two, um, and, and oh, he's wonderful. always right next to me when we're making everything. It's a bit annoying and intense, you know, because if you've got a pan <laughs> that's, that's got oil in and you're making some, frying some meatballs or whatever and the, fa the fat's spitting a bit and uh, and you're just trying to cut and not, and he's putting his hands a little bit in the way. It's not, it's a bit tricky, but I just think it's worth it because he's just watching everything and he's seeing this is something yeah. that people do, you know. My daughter's not interested. You're building an cow. interest very early. Plant yeah. And it's so easy just very to be nice. like, not now. I'm busy. I'm cooking. 
you know like like <laughs> and that would be the really easy thing to do because it's annoying but 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 because like i say that no, I don't say that. He's not going to have a bad relationship with food. You know, they remember all this stuff. I'm pretty sure, like, you know, get out of my kitchen or whatever, you know. Mm. And, and my daughter, yeah. she's not interested in what I'm making. She just wants to take things out of the cupboard and, and, and make it. So she'll take some oats. That's very helpful. You know, or, or some milk and some milk. And she'll just make stuff or she'll take the pe Just like you're saying, she actually does this herself. <laughs> she does... Um, <laughs> Because we do it at home sometimes when we make some dishes is is just you know great uh, sorry peel the carrot all of the carrots so it's in these ribbons, and she just goes and does that herself now and and that's fine. and that's great I'm love that I love that they both show an interest I mean I don't think I was invited in the ki- I can't remember whether I was invited in the kitchen or not myself oh yes I was I was invited at a younger age but yeah. I was not uh, attuned to the food yet. <laughs> Was was it a big thing in your home then with the fa- family? Otherwise, I mean, but was it was everyone oh eating fast food? <laughs> they love no, they love food. They yeah. love food. That my parent, my parents are very big foodies. Yeah, um, and continue to this day very very involved with making food, and they experiment themselves, which is very adorable in their retirement age. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I just was not receptive to it until I guess my friends were more interested in it, uh, you know, that I got invited to parties and potlucks where I had to cook. That that sort of forced me into it. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I really dove head first as soon as I fell in love with it, though. It's, I was thinking, like, when I cook at home, you know, I didn't grow up with loads of fast food, but everyone loves fast food. And I, I, yeah, I quite often in my own kitchen, well, m- less now when I'm cooking for two kids, but before when I was just on my own or cooking for some friends or whatever, I, I'd, I'd, I'd pretty much always make my own form of fast food. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 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 you know, the grilled cheese sandwich is a classic, right? You know, it's a form of fast food, but making my own burgers, I can't even remember what it was I'd make, but I'd always make my own, before it, I suppose, came a thing, like my own gourmet fast food, you know, now there's burger <laughs> joints everywhere, right? But, do you do any of that in your own, I'm thinking when you have so much, you still obviously, maybe you don't have, you're not eating the same things all the time, but you still must have some sort of love for those terrible foods oh, that you absolutely. used to eat, right? There's something there's something that makes you happy about the idea of that. Have you, do, do you experiment? Would you make your own fast food? <laughs> I do. I very much do. Um, it's, it's very much part of my culinary DNA. Yeah. And I've actually written a cookbook about this, about right. comfort food. Yeah. It's called Showdown, and it's, it's recipes that I've entered into competitions uh, here in the U.S., but a lot of it is rooted in that fun, like, just really flashy, fast food, uh, especially nachos. That's kind of a lot of my award-winning stuff has been nachos <laughs> and barbecue, ah. um, like wings and ribs and burgers, all that stuff, but I've, I've sort of taken a step back and re-examined, you know, all the things that I've learned um, and incorporated it into, like, sort of remixed those old ideas of of what food is and added new ingredients and and more efficient, healthier techniques, or sometimes not as healthy, but, you know, as a treat. Uh, 
but yeah, this is something that I, I care about and discuss with people all the time is, you know, what do you eat when you feel bad or what do you eat when you feel great? Um, what is something you eat when you're celebrating? Yeah. And, and those are, those are the things that inspire a lot of the recipes that I write. I've got a Nacho's question for you. It's something I've been, I haven't been able to answer myself in many years. I mean, it's a little bit different in Denmark, obviously. The pe- people are pretty healthy out here. Well, I think they're not so healthy. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm also in Copenhagen, and, and it's a bit like being in London. People just seem, yeah, seem yeah. a little bit more healthy. But then you go out a little bit further, and you're like my village in Devon or whatever. Like, you know, people start putting on a little bit more weight the further you go out. I, I don't know. I probably shouldn't start saying things like this. I'm generalizing. Away from generalizing, Alex. Anyway. <laughs> So, so it wasn't so long ago, or it was actually a while ago now, that, that my mum was over and we had to go and get something to eat and went to this restaurant. Oh, oh it was, it's, it's like a student restaurant. It's ri- nice food, uh, comfort food in general, and, and um, mm-hmm. at a reasonable price. And, and, and it's always a nice place to hang out. Um, so, so we went to this place and it was lunchtime. And uh, <laughs> like nachos is on the menu, like, it may surprise you to hear, but nachos isn't on the menu so often. You can still get nachos always if you go to a Mexican restaurant, I'm sure, or if you go to the <laughs> cinema where you get that weird mm-hmm. cheese sauce and stuff. I think that's pretty much still an option. But, but like, you know, it's lunchtime and, and nachos was there. And it, it, it was nachos. It wasn't – yeah, it was it, – it, it was just normal. It was nothing special. It's like nachos and had a bit of chicken on. You can get chicken on it, right? So it's just the yeah. standard. But is nachos a meal or is it a side? <laughs> that is my question. Oh, I don't know. It depends on how big the plate is, right? <laughs> I, I, I just don't know. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I suppose. I just Have like, you- <laughs> it's just a big, a Have whole bunch seen? of chips. <laughs> like, it's a whole bunch of tortilla chips. Yeah. And then it comes you to the know, point. Um- <laughs> where where you know and i've eaten like well i bought i took the nachos i took the nachos because i had to see try and answer my own question so i ate the nachos and and you know about two-thirds of the way through i only had the chips left and it was all like <laughs> do i continue to eat the chips it's a little bit like your cheese board with the with yeah, the, the cheese biscuits <laughs> left and it's like well do i continue the eating them or not like I didn't when I left I didn't feel like I'd just eaten lunch I just felt guilty (laughs) yeah yeah tell me about one of your nachos I want to hear I want to hear your best nachos and then I can see whether nachos can be lunch what's your best argument that nachos can be lunch well uh, here here in the US they can be a little excessive Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so you know who Guy Fieri is right you know who that is. That uh, he has a TV chef here. He's very bombastic. Mm. He's got bleached hair, and he wears his sunglasses on the back of his head. Great, great um, look. Well, yeah. Well, you'll have to give him a Google. He's very. Um, he's a character, <laughs> and he's become beloved here in the U.S. Like people used to to hate on him because he's, you know, that kind of bro that you don't want to hang out with. But he's actually very kind and. <laughs> Okay. Very innovative out. in his way, but the funniest thing is that he has re- he had a restaurant where they served the nachos in a bucket, <laughs> and they would overturn the bucket on this giant plate at your table, and it would just feed four people. <laughs> oh, uh, I just, know it's, it's very large, very excessive, but um, 
I, you know, the, it, here in the States, like we love that sort of excess. And yeah. um, I, I don't eat like this all the time. But the, the nachos that I've, I've won awards for is a little bit of a Filipino spin on the idea. So, I've, you know, it, we just take this dish, the, what it is. So it's essentially nachos with some kind of cheese sauce and then other toppings. So I've, I've sort of swapped out um, some more cultural ingredients. So I've made chips out of uh, these egg roll wrappers called lumpia, which is a little bit more crisp and delicate. Um, so I've deep fried those myself into sort of the, the iconic chip shape, the triangle or rectangular. And then in, for the toppings, I have um, either this adobo pulled pork. So adobo is a natural dish of the Philippines. It's slow-cooked meat with soy sauce and vinegar and garlic. So it's very homey. You usually eat it over rice because uh, it's got a little bit of soupy component to it, but I've drained it or reduced it for this dish. Um, and so it's got nacho <laughs> situation. And then make a queso, which is a very Tex-Mex or Texas uh, Mexican style of cheese sauce, which has uh, pepper, spicy peppers in it. It's very gooey and pourable um, and delicious. You know, and then you can add so many other things there, like a pico de gallo salsa, which is very fresh with tomato and onion and jalapeno, and then adding a pickled element like pickled jalapeno, and then something creamy. So this this dish illustrates a lot of uh, balance, and that's something that I think about when I'm when I'm writing a recipe. And so something creamy like a sour cream or a, even a dollop of yogurt is a nice balance for all of the spicy and the that you're, <laughs> you're you're thinking about so it's very like it's also chemistry you know you're thinking mm. about acids and bases and how do they balance each other out in a, in a bite in a single bite and then across the whole dish and so this is a very colorful uh sort of uh dish and it can be it can sustain you if it has a lot of other things but yes if it's just ballpark or carnival or festival nachos <laughs> it's just the cheese and chips that's not really going to, to fill you up what about what about distribution right you know did you if i yes. eat your delicious nachos there am i going to end up still with the same problem where i've just got like some chips left or do yeah, you thread that's... it through <laughs> or do you have it on the side i mean I, how do you how do you distribute those delicious ingredients yeah, it depends on the amount of people eating it and where you are and how much time you've got. So if you've got the large display plate of it, I like to, to layer. I like to do a bottom layer with the, all the toppings and then do a little bit of a volcano top with the rest of the chips and then keep dressing from there lightly because you don't want to have too much cheese or it's going to get soggy. can't let it sit for too long. But then the... the the other way you can solve that problem is is making a queso instead or like a um, queso fundido, which is a sort of more Spanish way of, of eating, which is a, a cast iron pan full of the melted cheese and some crumbled chorizo on top. And then you can dip the chips so that they don't get soggy instead of having to pour it all over the place. Ladies and gentlemen, the Nacho <laughs> Volcano. <laughs> it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. You, you're very goodness. good at um, finding the right words to describe your 
food, and obviously that's something you you found out about on your webpage. <laughs> yes. like, that you definitely have the right words to to visualize things as well. It's really nice. <laughs> I mean, nacho yeah, volcano. I like, yeah, I like writing about food or describing it for other people because that's how I can get I can get customers to buy in on on the idea of of what it is. Because a lot of my work is theoretical at first, like. This magazine maybe might ask me, can you come up with three different spaghettis for us that we can try to figure out, like, what's the three different new types of spaghetti that we can try to make? And so I have to be able to describe these sensual uh, feelings and textures so that uh, we can we can move forward and, and say, oh, that's not right or that's that's hmm. or that is the way that we want to go. Uh, <laughs> so description is, is very important. <laughs> So what's so? Here's the big question: What's the future of food? <laughs> I don't even know what that question means. I'm sorry. I'm future asking you. food? No, this is this is something I think about as well. Um, like I mentioned earlier, that uh, I was uh, my friends and I are adopting a little bit of a vegan habit, or at least trying to be less meat forward. That's that's a phrase that people use. Forward is, is the majority of what you eat. So meat forward. My plate is meat forward. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit more vegetable forward instead, you know, having a side of meat instead of a side of vegetables. Yeah. And um, I think what's really interesting or, or at least what's popular among a lot of the Instagram people right now is mushrooms and growing your own. There are, there are companies that are selling the inoculated wood block that you can have in your home. It's kind of like a pet and then you spritz it every morning with a little bit of water and you can grow your own uh, mushrooms. And that's been really fun and exciting to think about the future where we can have just a little shelf where it's something that you harvest yourself every day and then you can live in an apartment and not necessarily on a farm to do that. So much like um, warehouse growing going on in the States yet. Like we're, yeah, we're, ver- like vertical farming, yeah. Vertical farming, yeah. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, but I think this is much more accessible than having microgreens or my scallions that have been sitting in a little water jar. Mm, <laughs> have yeah, you seen that? No, no, I haven't seen <laughs> that. It sounds a little bit prettier well, this- as well. This is another um, project for anyone who is excited about growing your own things. If, if ever you eat green onion or scallion, the alliums like that, you can save that um, couple of inches at the bottom, you know, that white part with the root. You can save that and then put it in a little, like, uh, a little bit of water and change the water every two or three days, and you'll just be regrowing your scallions. Uh, up to three or four times before it gets tired. <laughs> it's a good way to start as well, isn't it? It's not like, I mean, a lot of us are, are cursed to live in these uh, small apartments for the rest of our lives until yeah. we uh, but have this little thought of, oh, do I need to have a garden or move out of the city or whatever? But, <laughs> no. And if I, w- if I did that, I'm sure I would plant my vegetables and do all these things. Well, look, you know, it probably won't. It's a nice idea, but you don't just start growing or being interested in that overnight. You can do these things now in your kitchen as well, and or even just like a little herb garden, right? You know, it's important to get interested. Yeah, baby steps. Yeah. Yes, baby steps. That's how I started (laughs) with my little window. I have a windowsill garden. It's very uh, forgiving. 
because if I forget to water it, there is still that little bit of water at the bottom of it. That's that's why scallions are very, very popular for quarantine uh, (laughs) gardening. Well, Jen, you know, the last thing you need to do is is, is this Mm. the food chain, right? So so, so you need to pass it over to another poor person that has to speak to me. Well, they don't have to. They can always choose. Obviously, they can always say no. There's no problems. The chain always uh, ends at some point. But I'm very happy I've got my chain to two people. <laughs> so thank you for yeah. that. I feel that it's already a success. But if you got someone that you... Um, who do you think would be a good person to, to talk to about all things I've food? already got this person lined up and primed for you, ready to receive <laughs> questions. Um, it is Simon Keogh, who is a collaborator of mine. Um, something that we didn't talk about is I also work um, on a magazine. It's an international magazine called Put an Egg on It. And Simon is the founder. Oh, right. And uh, while, while Simon is based in New York, while they are based in New York, um, they've had a lot of projects that have taken them around the world. Um, we've had some really wonderful uh, communal dinners, a lot like what you mentioned earlier in Africa, uh, in Japan, in London. Like we did a little pop-up at the Ace Hotel in London. So um, Simon will will have a lot of uh, international links in the chain as well, which is very exciting. But we work on a magazine together, together. And I didn't say this earlier, but, you know, it was making me smile when you were talking about uh, this communal eating because our mantra for this magazine is the communal joys of eating together with friends and family. So we like to uh, take photos of real life and, and we don't really have journalists. We, we get stories from real people who, who don't necessarily are not, you know, professional writers, but we just love a good story about, about eating and serving food to other people. We like dirty dishes. We like taking a peek into your fridge. Yes, <laughs> that yes. kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually <laughs> going to be one of my life. questions to you today. What's in your fridge right now? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that we were talking. So, but yeah, that's yeah, something that so sounds a practice, perfect link. Yeah. So Simon, by practice, is a photographer um, and a project manager. So uh, you'll have plenty and plenty to talk about. Fantastic! Fantastic. Well, Jen, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a radio thanks for now, but hang around for a minute because uh, I'd like to say goodbye. To sure. You. But I just want to say, uh, is there anyone any shout out or anything you want to say before um, we say well, goodbye? Thanks to Gareth and Gwem to, for adding me to the chain. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. It's been very very nice to talk to you, Alex. But for <laughs> folks who who want to learn more about food or hang out with me online, I have my Twitch show every Wednesday. It's 5 p.m. Eastern, so I, I believe maybe that's UK time, 10 p.m. Uh, and I have uh, lots of social media, lots of inspirational photos. If you'd like to, if you get bored in the kitchen, I, my Instagram and Twitter is all under the name Randwitches, Random Sandwiches. So that's, that's me online. <laughs> it's a great word. Well done. That's another good word yeah. you, you found there, Randwitches. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have a word for something, make it up. Exactly. <laughs> well, Jen, thank you so much for uh, le- hanging out with me here. 
uh, for an hour and um, and uh, and for your inspiration and your thoughts and your uh, recipe for everyone to go home. I'm going to go and try at home. I've I made a little drawing of it actually, so I remembered how to do. I find it's better when I draw things, so I can remember exactly how <laughs> it can be done. And uh, but thank you very much. And uh, just to say goodbye from the food chain. Link number two sounds like the next person's ready, so you're still going to have to hear me at least one more time, everybody. <laughs> the ch- I'm stuck doing this show until people stop turning up. So, uh, so thank you, Jen, and thank you guys for listening. And uh, you'll hear from me again soon. Bye bye. <laughs>